Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. It is me, Cindy House, the host of this podcast, joined today by the one and only Lizzie No. Hello, Lizzie. Hello, Cindy. How are you doing today, my dear friend? I am doing like okay, like hanging in there. People may have heard, uh, you may not have heard, that I had a giant dog. Uh, named Willis, who is like 115 pounds, uh, Newfoundland Mastiff, king of the world, mm-hmm. just an extraordinary rock star of a dog, and he very suddenly died, and uh, it is hitting me pretty hard, um, Yeah, you know, just like taking it day by day, and man, I mean, it's different than when a person passes away, but this was like the first dog that was like truly my dog and and my wife's dog. She got him when he was a puppy. He was nine years old. I have like lived pretty intensely with him for maybe three years. And I feel like he was like, so he was in like such good spirits in the last two years of his life. And it just is like so shocking and so sudden. And I just feel like very heavy with grief. Uh, but I know that like many people have been here. If you see me not posting on Instagram or, you know, if I owe you an email, it's because I just am wrecked. And all I can do is look at videos of Willis the dog. I'm so sorry, Cindy. Willis was a really, really special dog. And a lot of my earliest memories of you are of us recording podcast episodes during which Willis would like lumber in and settle down under the desk, which was his chill spot. Mm -hmm. He loved to lie under the desk and just be near you and touching you at all times. (laughs) And he was such a gentle, wonderful guy. And I'm glad that we talk about our pets on basic folk because it's such a deep connection and you're right that it's not the same as a person, but they mean a lot. When I found out the news, I wanted to give, I wanted to note that I was with my friend Bridget and her partner Lawrence. I was not with Willis when he died, and I was with the two of them, and we just had a very beautiful and emotional memorial for her mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was just such a weird thing to have like immediate perspective. You know, it's like the first person after I found out that Willis was gone. I mean, Bridget and Lawrence were there just being amazing friends. And, you know, the first person that I called was my mom. It's just unimaginable 
to me what Bridget has been going through. Um, and, you know, I just appreciate her, her friendship and her presence. And, you know, she's just been like an un, unwavering presence in my life. So hats off to Bridget, who I know. Oh, we love Bridget. We do. This I'm sending is... you a hug, Cindy. Thanks. And I would like everyone to, if you have a pet, go give that pet a hug right now. You can pause the show, <laughs> hug your pet, and then come back and continue the episode because you can yeah. never have enough hugs and you can never kiss your puppy on the head too many times. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. And Dottie the cat has been really stepping it up, um, getting in my face, mm-hmm. letting letting me squeeze her not too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, just I don't know if people have, have the basic folk merch, but there is an incredible illustration of Dottie the cat on the basic folk t-shirt. This is really like a pet centric podcast community. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like my Zoom just disconnected. Hang on. Let me. Yeah, I can see you again. Okay, it was good. frozen for a sec. Technology here at Basic Folk is not great. I was crying earlier over my inability to connect headphones to any of my devices. So that's just keeping it 100, keeping it real. A lot of times we're very chipper and cheerful on this podcast, but today life just has us down and that's where we're at. Welcome aboard. (laughs) I also want to say that like crying over technology is totally valid because we we went away for like a month and when I came Mm -hmm. back, I couldn't get the printer to work and I was in a similar state of despair. It just makes me feel so helpless. And I also feel like there's some internalized sexism that makes me feel very bashful about how hard some technological issues are for me. Like, I want to be like, I'm every woman. It's all in me. Any headphones you want connected, baby, I'll do it easily. And that's Ah. just not the case. It's just not the case. I need help (laughs) sometimes. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, thanks for continuing to listen to basic folk through our absolute grief and despair emotional turmoil if you do want to support the podcast you can you can sign up for our newsletter you can follow us on social media where you can see pictures of willis the dog and Dottie the cat and lizzie no and also me cindy and uh, you can find us at basic folk pod If you want to, you can make a financial contribution and keep us afloat at basicfolk.com slash donate. Um, And Lizzie, let's get to our guest today, Molly Tuttle. Please take it away. Molly Tuttle. I am such a huge fan of Molly Tuttle. I love her songwriting. I feel like what I love most about her is her songwriting, even though for many people, her dazzling guitar playing is the star of the show. Um, Growing up in Palo Alto, California, Molly was surrounded by music. Her dad was a teacher at Griffin Stringed Instruments, which is not so coincidentally where I got the pickups installed on my mini harp, which just goes to show you that folk music is a very, very small world. And there are a few beloved hubs that a lot of us turn to. Molly took to the guitar early and intensely, eventually earning a scholarship to the very prestigious Berklee College of Music. Uh, But I think it was those early days growing up in California, playing and listening to music with her family and attending bluegrass festivals where she basked in the glow of the jam that set the tone for her warm and collaborative approach to playing music. While at Berklee, Molly formed a band called the Goodbye Girls and cut her teeth touring in Scandinavia afterwards. When we dug into the Goodbye Girls 
I had some questions for Molly because she's not just a wonderful musician, but she's also a very well-known capital woman in music. Um, and I wanted to get the chance to talk with her about what it means to be a woman in music. And also when you're in a band called the Goodbye Girls, what it means to explicitly say we are women in music. Mm. Um, she was also the first woman to the, win the IBMA Guitarist of the Year Award. So she has a ton of perspective on what it's like to be a very visible woman in music and to be asked about that a lot. Um, so it's it's kind of juicy. I also got to talk with Molly about her debut album, When You're Ready, which is what got me hooked on her music and her beautiful covers album, But I'd Rather Be With You. If there are any deadheads in our audience, they are gonna love that album. Uh, and then we started sifting through the layers of her latest bluegrass album, Crooked Tree, which features her brand new backing band, Golden Highway. Um, Molly took a really intense approach of studying and honoring the traditions of bluegrass while adding her own contemporary perspective. So she kind of dug into many of the pillars of bluegrass, you know, the murder ballad, the shiny stacked vocal harmonies, the lightning fast guitar playing, you name it, and then made it all her own, um, kind of proving over and over that she is one of the stars of the genre. I think the album is phenomenal and she's a delightful person to talk to. That's awesome. I am excited to hear this interview. Uh, we were gonna share a clip from Molly's new album. Are you okay if I play Big Backyard? That one is like such a banger. Yes, I was actually gonna ask if you wanted to bring that one, if you wanted to play that one, because at first I had we had chosen a different song and then I was like, what I think is so fascinating about Molly is like her collaboration and her sense of sharing. And that's what that song is all about. Old Crow's on this, right? Old Crow Medicine mm -hmm. Show and Molly mm -hmm. Tuttle. Okay, great. Well, let's hear it. Molly Tuttle, Big Backyard. And then we'll get to our conversation with Lizzie No and Molly Tuttle on Basic Folk. Thank you so much for talking with me, Molly. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I want to jump right in because you've had such a prolific career, even in your young life, and <laughs> I have a million questions. So what are your earliest memories of learning guitar? Did you have a practice regimen, even like as an elementary school kid? Um, I had like a, well, I started playing when I was eight years old, so I was in elementary school and um I think my early practice regimen was just kind of loosely learning tunes from my dad, kind of learning new chords. And, um, and then after a couple of years, I got really into it and started kind of making up my own practice regimens where I would 
um, challenge myself to play for an hour a day or two hours a day. Um, and that's when I started Whoa. really progressing. But that was um, kind of my early, early teenage years or around age 12 or 13, I started getting really into practicing. And what were you practicing in those days? Like, were you listening to the radio and trying to emulate? Were you like, did you have music books? What was the, what was your material? Um, it was a lot of like fiddle tunes, bluegrass songs that I'd hear around the house. My dad's um, a bluegrass musician and he's a music teacher. So um, I always grew up hearing the music that he listened to. And then kind of from there, I branched out and found the stuff that I was into like on YouTube, I'd find the singer or um, a song that I really liked and try to learn it. And, um, or maybe I'd try to learn a song that my friends were listening to at school. Um, so it was kind of a mix of stuff. Wow. I, I read that your dad was a teacher at Griffin's Stringed Instruments. This isn't so much of a question and more of like a let's go down memory lane because I love that store. Like, it is the best quality oh, cool. instruments and like maintenance. <laughs> I ha I got such a great harp set up from them oh, like 10 awesome. years ago and it's like served me so, so well. Uh -huh. um, did you have music teachers who had a big impact on you early on? Yeah. I mean, my dad was my first teacher and then I used mm -hmm. to go into Griffin um, if I wanted to learn like a different style. I remember I learned some blues Mm -hmm. um, guitar from a teacher at Griffin. And then I learned clawhammer guitar or clawhammer banjo from another teacher there at Griffin. Um, Tom Culbertson, I learned some, um, clawhammer banjo from, and this guy, Walter cool. Jebby, I learned like some basic blues guitar from at Griffin. Um, so those were a couple other of my early teachers. And then once I went to Berkeley, um, in Boston, I had a bunch of guitar teachers. Oh, I bet. Um, how do you think being a Bay Area native has shaped you as an artist? Like, do you think you were destined to be a deadhead? Like, are there parts <laughs> of where you're from that people still hear in your music today? Yeah, I mean, I think the bluegrass um, scene out here that I grew up in is really influenced by Jerry Garcia and um, mm -hmm. and people like Peter Rowan and Grisman. And, and then the people who I heard growing up were like Lori Lewis and Kathy Kalick. And oh, yeah. There are so many strong women out here leading their own bands. Um, so the Roots Music community was just really empowering for a young girl um, growing up playing this music. When did you start writing your own songs? When I was about 15 or 16. Tell me, like, what, was, what were your topics then? What inspired you to write? A lot of times I would just kind of write um, stream of consciousness style, like mm -hmm. just kind of mumble until I felt like I had some lyric ideas I guess just kind of basic teenager stuff like love or crushes oh, that yeah. I had on people. Yeah, I don't know. Or like changes because I was moving away to college, like big life yeah. changes, dealing with that. I didn't write that many story songs or songs that weren't like personal experiences. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of people get started. Like it's... Yeah. It's hard to write what you don't know, especially mm -hmm. when you're a teenager. Like yeah, I feel totally. like everyone's first song has to be like either a copy of somebody else's material or mm -hmm. like about a crush. Yeah. Something in between. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like a journal, journal entry song. <laughs> you won a scholarship to Berkeley college of music, mm -hmm. which for meant some of our listeners who might not know, it's one of the fanciest schmanciest music schools around. Do you, did you feel like 
you went in with high expectations because of that scholarship. Like I imagine you had already some idea of what you were interested in musically, what you might've wanted your career to look like. So how did like getting your degree fit into that bigger plan? Yeah, I think for me, I wasn't as focused on the degree as I was on the experience of going to Berkeley and meeting people and um, getting to spend that time just solely focused on music and improving uh, my musical skills. And that's pretty much what I did. I was there for like two years and Mm -hmm. um, focused a lot on guitar and also songwriting and met a ton of people. And I still play music with um, some of the people I met there. It was a really cool experience. Was Boston like a culture and weather shock for you? Yeah, it was. <laughs> Not so much culture, but definitely weather. And then the people, I think just like taking the the tea everywhere and the buses everywhere, like the people are definitely a little less friendly. You get like the East Coast kind of oh yeah um, freeze, I guess. <laughs> but the weather <laughs> was the worst part for me. Um it was pretty brutal after, I think I was there for, well, I got there in January. I started halfway through the year and the first winter wasn't no, so bad. No, Molly, no, not January. <laughs> you have to go to Boston in like September. I know. It was like weirdly the mildest winter though when I arrived. I was like, this is not so bad. And then it got worse and worse the next two winters. And I was like, I'm done after. <laughs> oh my God. After those two years. What was your focus on like guitar wise while you were at Berkeley? Like did you have goals of like, this is, this is the type of guitar player I want to evolve towards? Yeah, I think like I was just, when I first got there, I, I really just wanted to focus on my own thing and kind of improving the skills that I already had and getting better at improvising and learning the fingerboard more. Um, Mm -hmm. And then as I was there, I kind of, my mind was open to all these different styles of guitar playing. And, um, and I started to see it more as just like a, an instrument that you can do so many different things on um, versus just kind of before going to Berkeley feeling more like stuck in my lane, I guess. Right. Can you give an example of that? Like who is a guitarist or like, is there a style that you didn't expect to find yourself inspired by, but you really got into while you were at Berkeley? Yeah. um, I think like one teacher I had, um, this guy, Dave Tronzo, he was kind of like an, like a, um, free jazz, like improvisational style player. Um, And he would give me these like chord progressions of songs that he'd written that were really outside the box. Like they were chords that I wasn't at all comfortable playing over. Um, And at first it kind of, it felt like I had a major block and I really didn't feel like I could play over these chords. And it was really frustrating to me. And then um, as I studied with him, I studied with him for about a year. And by the end, I really enjoy just kind of exploring the fingerboard, not like playing in a specific style, but just kind of exploring different chord changes um, in a more like free way. That's really interesting. I think like for me, one of the best parts about being a professional musician is that it's your job to learn new things all the time. Yeah. And that's something that's like really tough as an adult to do. Like, to take some to like approach something that you're not good at right away and push through um that is a really big challenge still like are there are there are there styles that you kind of 
don't dare approach now? Or are you still like pretty fearless about approaching new genres and styles of guitar playing? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't like, I feel like now I'm more just kind of focused on what I'm playing for my shows, writing songs, mm -hmm. and I don't spend as much time like practicing guitar and, and learning new styles. Um, but I have wanted to like get better at electric guitar. And that was kind of one thing I wanted to focus on during the pandemic, but I ended up kind of like more focusing on songwriting and did yeah. kind of work on some electric guitar, but didn't really still haven't felt like I um, have gotten completely comfortable on it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of one of my goals that still I haven't really fully explored. I believe in you wholeheartedly <laughs> for, for what that's worth. love to hear more also about your band the goodbye girls was that a group that formed at berkeley yeah it was why was it important to you i mean it's called the goodbye girls yeah. and i feel like this is something that's gonna maybe come up a bunch in our conversation like why was it important to you to say like we are a, a female group um yeah it kind of came about in a roundabout way because liana the fiddle player um she mm -hmm. is from sweden and she had a booking agent from Sweden say like she was over in Boston studying at Berkeley and um this booking agent she knew was like I'm gonna book you a tour in Sweden a two-week tour and awesome. just put together a band of Berkeley students we want to bring a band over to Sweden from Boston um so she asked Allison the banjo player in the band because they're really good friends and Allison asked me to join and then I was roommates with Brittany, the bass player, so I um, mm -hmm. said we should get Brittany to round out the group. And we had no intention of making Oh, it. I think Allison is a is a basic folk uh, alum, too. Uh, Sorry oh, to cool. interrupt you. <laughs> cool. Some small world. Yeah, so we didn't really have the intention of making it an all-female group, but um, it just worked out that way. And then when we were trying to think of band names, um, there's this tune called Goodbye Girls and Going to Boston. We thought it was kind of fun since we started in Boston. Um, and we also thought like there's so many band names that are all men with boys, like the Bluegrass Boys, oh, yeah. the like, Punch boys. Brothers, yeah. uh, lots of boys and brothers or whatever. Anyway, all male bands are always referencing themselves as like boys. Um, so yeah. we were like, why can't we be <laughs> girls? And it kind of came back to haunt us because then, of course, every promoter or person announcing us would be like these girls aren't they so oh, awesome and we're like can we not call <laughs> us girls but we're calling ourselves girls but that's fine I guess so I yeah I feel like it's not that hard to figure out like I my rule is like if you are a woman it is completely fine for you to call yourself a girl yeah. and like refer to like, but for, for someone in a professional context to like refer to you as a girl is so wild to me. Yeah. That totally. is a trip. <laughs> so yeah, it was like a, I like the band name still and I stand by it, but, but it did get like slightly annoying at times where like, should we change our band name? Like everyone's just calling oh, us girls God. all the time. <laughs> Ugh, I weep for you. Um, <laughs> Uh, so it's like, since then you've received so much acclaim as an instrumentalist, a songwriter, but also like the first female, this and that, and like a woman musician. Uh -huh. And I imagine you get a million interview questions about what it's like to be in a female body and 
a performer and a musician. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that feel to you now as like a full grown adult? Like, does that come with responsibility? Does it feel like a burden? Does it feel like something that you try to, you know, shake up stereotypes or anything like that? Like the questions or just, or being a... Yeah. Um... The questions and the like, I you know, so much of what I've read about you is... Molly Tuttle is one of the great, you know, female artists doing oh, this yeah. and that. First, you know, w- woman to be instrumentalist of the right. year. And- yeah. Yeah. Like I, at first when I, I guess it started when I won the IBMA um, yeah. guitar player award. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, how does it feel to be the first woman? How does it feel to be a woman playing guitar? Yeah. I kind of got like tired of answering the question after a while. Yeah. At first I like was fine and was like it's great I hope to like inspire young girls playing guitar or whatever but then after a while I was like that question specifically like do you I get asked a lot like do you want to inspire like the younger generation of girls playing guitar and I'm like sounds like a trick question because what am I gonna say like no I don't want to but also I don't really think about (laughs) it that much and I don't think you're gonna ask like a male guitar player, do you hope to inspire young boys to play guitar? Like, I right. I don't know. I just play guitar, and I love playing guitar. I think yeah. you're either going to play guitar or you're not, and I think girls are going to play <laughs> guitar more yeah. likely if they see women playing guitar, which is yeah. definitely a good thing. But, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I and think... also that type of framing, like, <clears throat> downplays how many boys could be inspired by your work That's as well. That's true, like, yeah. You don't need to also be a girl to be inspired by a female guitarist. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I think like, I don't know. I think there are definitely things that people should talk about more about like making the guitar spaces more comfortable for women, especially like going into guitar stores. I think I read like um, most guitar sales, most guitars are sold to women these days but they're only like mainly just buying them online because for obvious reason guitar stores are so annoying to go into if you're female presenting at all and it's like everyone's so condescending. I don't know if our (laughs) listeners have like come across this but anytime I'm in a guitar store and like sometimes it'll be funny like if I go in with a, a female musician friend and then the employees are like, they ask you the most condescending questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I've, I've even been told, like, be careful, that's expensive. Um, <laughs> like when I'm, you know, when I'm trying out a guitar. Yeah. Um, God, like, I wish I would love to design like, have you heard of the wing? Uh, no, it was this, it was this like, um, female centered co-working space where like women could go like, like we work, but for women. Oh, cool. I would love to have like a musical instrument store that is like female centric. Mm-hmm. I think that would be heaven on earth for yeah. me personally. <laughs> There's a cool store like that in Nashville called Fanny's House of Music. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. I've heard of Fanny's. Yeah, they're awesome. So I first came across your music um, when I heard the When You're Ready album, mm-hmm. and it really blew me away. I think. It's such a searching album. It's a heart-wrenching album. And a lot of that comes down to, like, the vocal performances. So did you have inspirations or references when it came to the singing on that album? I think I was, like, influenced by a lot of the kind of indie rock that I listened to as a teenager. People like, um, I mean, like, Kate Bush is someone who's coming back 
a lot right now, oh, yeah. but I really like her and um, people like Portishead I listen to a lot and um, Amy Mann is someone I was listening to a lot when I was recording the album. I love her singing. I, um, I listen to Amy Mann like probably like six or seven hours a week. I don't think she has any bad songs. I know, she's amazing. Yeah, so those those were some of my influences. Uh, oh, and like Nico Case, I love her singing so much. Oh yeah. Do you feel like you sang, you sing differently? Like, I mean, this might be an obvious question, but maybe for folks that like don't have experience recording, how does it feel different to like sing with just maybe yourself and the guitar versus like singing in the booth on top of the full band arrangement? Like, do you find that you get different vocal performances in that setting? Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, like, I'm pretty much always singing with my guitar, so it's kind of weird for me to do it later without. Um, and I definitely overthink it a little bit. Like, if I don't have my guitar, I'm just kind of listening really close. I'm maybe less in the in the groove um, musically, like in the rhythm of the music, because I feel so much of that with my hands when I'm like strumming guitar. Yeah, it's um, really a full body exercise, I bet. Yeah, totally. So. But I also can kind of take my time with it more if I'm not playing along live and just do as many takes as I want and kind of explore mm -hmm. my vocal range a little bit more. So there's like pros and cons to each, I'd say. Are you pretty intuitive with like self-producing your vocals or do you like to have someone else at the controls saying like, try it again this way or letting you know like, okay, I think we have it. Or do you prefer to like make those calls yourself? Yeah, I think I, I like to have someone else there. Um, but then the final vocal track, I like to listen to myself and be like, hey, I want to change this and this and this. Yes, there's a lot of power in you know, yeah. having a hand in your own comps. Totally. What I'd rather be with you to me is like such a turn from when you're ready. It's such a cool covers album. And all of our listeners should go listen to it for like, a sense of the breadth and depth of your musical knowledge. Like there are covers from like Rancid to FKA Twigs and the Rolling Stones. <laughs> so how the hell did you build your song list? Like, how did you narrow it down? Um, it was a long process because I was working with um, Tony Berg, who's an amazing producer. And he was, he's very um, selective as well. Like we we're both kind of we were both pretty selective about the songs. I would bring him a song that I thought was really cool. And he'd be like, no, I don't think this is the right fit. Mm -hmm. um, and then vice versa, he'd send me songs. and I'd be like, I just can't see myself singing that. So we kind of had to come to like this group of songs that we both felt really good about. We're both kind of like, we were both very opinionated <laughs> about the songs yeah. that we thought should go on the <laughs> album. And so, yeah, I think the ones that we ended up with were ones that we both felt like I was bringing a totally new perspective to. We didn't want it to just sound like I was playing like just like a alternate version of what other what other um whatever song it was. Like it wanted to sound like my own song that people might not even recognize from the original. So um yeah, I think that's how we ended up with such a diverse group of songs genre wise that I felt like I could make different from the originals and really make my own. There's also some kind of like deep cuts in there. We didn't want to choose like the most obvious songs right. from whatever <laughs> artist. From each, from each artist. Is Tony Berg in LA? 
Am I remembering Yeah, he that is. Right? How, what was it like to create an album collaboratively, like over a distance? Were you sending songs across the country and having to try to like collaborate that way? Yeah, it was cool. Um, definitely a product of the pandemic. And I don't think either of us would want to do an album that way again. But it was an interesting experience. Like I was just recording all my stuff at home. It was kind of fun to take my time with it and just like work on my own schedule and have no one else around to listen in or tell me do it this way or that way. Um, And then I just send him everything and he would give me notes. Um, So that was kind of cool. I felt really independent. That's super interesting to just like be in your own space, but also in the studio at the same time. Yeah, totally. (laughs) It was cool. What was the most challenging part of creating that album? I think it was just hard going back to the last question. I think the distance was hard because normally you record and you're together and you can give notes in real time. But like some days I would do a bunch of takes on one thing and send it to him and it'd be like, no, I think you need to redo all this. And um, so that part of it, just not having the instant communication sometimes made me like go down a rabbit hole that I wouldn't have otherwise or and oh vice gosh, versa. That sounds really frustrating to like, spin your <laughs> wheels on your own instead of like being able to just have feedback right away. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't too bad, but it was kind of like I just missed having the instant kind of like back and forth and vice versa, just not knowing what oh, was sure. being put on the songs and then hearing like a mix back with a bunch of instruments. And I pretty much always loved what he was putting on the songs, but it was a little scary to be like sending them off and like, I don't know what's going to happen and hear it again a few days later. Yeah, I'm going through a little bit of that myself at the moment because my producer is on tour in Europe and we I'm oh. very like type A and controlling when it comes to arrangements. But there are still those moments where you hear something back and you're like, oh, wow, this is like I wasn't there. Like a whole process went into this that I wasn't yeah. uh, there <laughs> for. Of- yeah. And you have to like really trust who you work with. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Shout out to Graham. Um, <laughs> okay. So I love your new album, Crooked Tree. Thank you. Um, it's so fun. I mean, even before we had this interview scheduled, it has been like one of my road trip albums of the summer. Uh, and I'm curious. So like you're a bluegrass artist and you're, you're many things, but in some senses you're a bluegrass artist and mm-hmm. you have a deep knowledge of the form. And there are a lot of, specific formal requirements when it comes to making a bluegrass record. Yeah. So how did you approach like fitting your own contemporary personal stories into a tradition that has so many specific conventions? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like a really fun challenge for me to try to think like which, which stories in my life could fit into this, um, this tradition of music and, kind of made me go back um, to my roots in the genre. Like my grandfather um, was a banjo player and that's like really where bluegrass started in my family. Um, And so I went back and visited my grandmother on the old farm where my dad grew up in Illinois. And that inspired some of the songs, just thinking about where the music started in my family and um, thinking about the festivals that I grew up going to and the people that I listened to as a kid. Um, And also my collaborators like Melody Walker and Catch Secor and Becky Buller and Mark Simos, the people I wrote the songs with, um, they were all so helpful um, and really helped draw out of me these stories that um, I was wanting to tell. That's so cool. I didn't know you had 
any Midwest roots until I heard Flatland Girl yeah. and the collaboration with Margot Price. And I was like, oh, this is a match made in heaven. This is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love her Midwest farmer's daughter. Definitely wanted to get her on that track because she has the the Midwest farm roots as well. What was the story behind Crooked Tree, the title track? I thought I think the chorus is so powerful that goes, Crooked Tree can't fit into the mill machine. Well, I wrote that one with Melody walker um and we had both seen this quote um from tom waits about kind of like using the crooked tree as a metaphor for his life and taking the road less traveled and i think it's a quote that's been kind of regurgitated in different ways um by different people but we thought it would be really cool to take that idea and write a song about um kind of embracing who you are and i think like everyone has things that make them different and kind of like a crooked tree and we both um felt like that when we were growing up like Melody um wore a back brace in school she had scoliosis and kind of that made her feel different from other kids and for me I lost my hair from alopecia when I was three so I grew up um looking different than all the other kids at school um and I'd been wanting to write a song that kind of addressed that topic for a long time but um it was just hard to know what angle to come at it from. And then this song just felt perfect. It seemed like it could apply to a lot of different people's lives. And um, it's kind of a feeling that I think everyone has at times. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think of it too, in terms of like our work and resistance and how like sometimes the world wants us to fit into a narrow mold so that we can be more productive for capitalism. And I think it's really powerful to remind people that the thing that makes you different or inconvenient Mm-hmm. is often the thing that makes you the most powerful. Yeah, totally. I also really want to dig into The River Nose, which is like a spin on the murder ballad tradition. Mm-hmm. And it addresses sexual violence, which I think at this moment in history, when Roe v. Wade has just been overturned, like, oh man, that song has just been weighing on me. <laughs> um, how do how are you thinking about that now? Like, do you think, do you feel a responsibility as an artist to speak on gender-based violence and like how do you feel like you can have an impact in this like sort of chaotic historic moment yeah it's like it's really hard to know I I definitely have felt like um after Roe got overturned when I was singing that song I felt like I could really um kind of it felt like it took on a new meaning for me I felt like I was getting more emotional singing it yeah but I don't really have all the answers on like how we're all supposed to respond to it it's so hard to know what to do I think for me I just have to speak out and let people know where I stand um continue to support like organizations that are helping but it is like I feel like we all feel somewhat powerless right now and it's just it's hard to know what to do but um I think as artists we are supposed to remind people that like like you were saying like we're not supposed to fit into this mold we are all like these creative spirits um that are meant to be free and we need to continue to express ourselves can you tell me about touring this record like what is it like to be in a band like capital B golden highway like after years of presenting as a solo artist like of course you've had amazing collaborators but right now you're in a proper band so like what's the most fun part about touring in a band yeah it's awesome I mean the my touring band is so much fun because we've all been friends for like 
almost a decade now. Um, we all kind of grew up playing bluegrass and roots music. And um, it was basically just calling up my friends and being like, who would be who would be my first choice to be in this bluegrass band with me? And everyone said yes, <laughs> amazingly. And oh so, gosh. yeah, it's just, it's really, really fun. <laughs> and I've played, I mean, I've had like amazing people in my band over the last couple of years. Um, this one does feel a little different since I kind of named it as a band and it just feels like a very, like I definitely have been trying to make everyone get a little heavily featured throughout the show and definitely want it to feel like a cohesive unit. That is Oh, that's so fun. I would love to see this live show. What's <laughs> yeah. the, what's the, your favorite song to perform off of this record? That's a tough one. Um, I've been loving playing Dooley's Farm live because people have kind of started singing along with it. And nice. That's just a fun one. That's like a great contemporary moonshiner <laughs> rocker. Oh, thanks. Something I'm wondering about is like, you're somebody who's been performing since you were itty bitty. And I know for myself, like the older I get, and the more I perform, you really notice those micro changes in your voice and your body as you're playing. Like my voice is definitely getting wackier. My playing gets looser. So like, <laughs> have you noticed changes, like physical changes that you're accommodating and working with um, as you're touring, like, you know, into your thirties? I think my voice has gotten like deeper sounding when I listen back to videos or recordings from my early 20s it sounds so I don't know just very high sound I don't know how to describe it mm -hmm. almost thin or like not thin exactly but I feel like my voice has gotten more resonant and I can definitely hit like some more low notes that I couldn't before so I'm really enjoying how my voice is changing and maturing um and I feel more confident too like belting out higher notes I feel like it's just maybe touring so much has made my voice get a little stronger and so far for me it's been positive changes um but I do feel sometimes like my hands get tired um I don't know what it is maybe it's that I used to practice more um I don't I haven't noticed any major changes except I think my voice has has changed quite a bit in the last couple of years I think that's fascinating. That's why I, we're lucky to, I mean, I know it is annoying when people film shows, but I also enjoy seeing artists that I like in like live performances and like being able to see YouTube clips as the years go by, because yeah. I think that's like one of the cool gifts of the digital age is that you can see artists like changing over time. Yeah, totally. Um, I was listening to... Alec Baldwin's podcast a few years back and he asked Tom York like what do you think your primary musical skill and identity is like do you think of yourself as a songwriter band leader Tom said like I think of myself as a singer and I'm curious like what would your answer be to that question do you think of yourself as a guitarist a singer a songwriter a performer a producer like What's you, what would you say if you had to introduce yourself? Like, hi, I'm Molly Tuttle and I. Um, yeah, I, I think I heard that same podcast and I, I was really interested in that he said he was a singer because like I think of him as kind of a songwriter, I guess. Yes. Um, composer. I felt that way too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what my answer would be. I think I love, 
I, I'm the most like blown away by songwriting. I'm kind of like the most interested in songwriting, but I don't think I'm like the best at songwriting. I guess I would have to say guitar player. Wow. That's really interesting. Cause when I was, <laughs> I, I tried to guess how you would answer and I, my gut was saying she's a songwriter. Like that's, what we're <laughs> that's see. nice of you. That's where we're going to see the surprises like over the next <laughs> few decades of this of this person's career. Well, I guess that's what I would hope to that people would know me as. <laughs> okay, the last thing that I want to ask you to do on this interview is a silly thing. It's a lightning round. <laughs> My cool. spiel on the lightning round is that you should just answer from your gut and don't think about it too hard. Mm -hmm. And that's that. Is that okay. cool? Yes. <laughs> okay. This is the Molly Tuttle lightning round here on Basic Folk. If you were not a human, what animal would you be? A sloth. Wow. <laughs> that, okay, I'm sorry, I'm breaking my own rules and like chit-chatting in the midst of the lightning <laughs> round. However, you play guitar very fast. And so I have to say... I don't see it, but I love that maybe like deep in your heart, there's like a slow moving. Yes, definitely. <laughs> okay. Um, are you competitive? Um, sometimes. Who is your favorite lyricist working right now? I love Phoebe Bridgers. Mm -hmm. Same. Do you have any pre-show rituals? And if so, what are they? Um... I don't, except my band has, we've started doing a huddle where we put our hands in and say, go highway. It's really go cheesy. Go highway. That's cute. That's yeah. really cute. Um, if you could go on a road trip with any musician, living or dead, who would it be? Well, um, I'm going to go with Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. That's actually a really good choice. I bet she would tell a lot of really, really good stories. Yeah. Um, what is your most useful non-musical skill? Hmm. <laughs> That's a hard one. I'm like, I don't have any <laughs> skills. That um, can't be true. I bet. Can you cook? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the one. Oh, that I know. To I know. I can make um, a pretty good pour over coffee. Oh, nice. That is a really useful skill. You have to have, <laughs> like, surgeon's hands to do that well. Um, what is the best age to be? Ooh, that's a good one. Let's see. So far, I'm 29, so I don't really know what it's like to be any other, any older age. But I want to say, like, 35, because I'd like to believe yeah. my best years are ahead of me. <laughs> I love that, and I agree. I think they are. Um are you going to retire or work till you die? <laughs> um, hmm. I'd like to semi-retire. I love playing shows, so I don't want to stop doing that. But I would like to take more time off when I'm Great. older to just explore the world. I love traveling, but on tour you don't get to see anywhere no. hardly so it, it, whenever I go on tour people are like oh go to this museum or go to this <laughs> restaurant and I'm like no I'm gonna see a hotel and that's yeah <laughs> someday I'll really uh, travel <laughs> what was the last movie you loved oh I saw that movie in theaters it's called like everything everywhere all the time um oh yeah I heard that, that was one? fantastic yeah it was awesome yes that's a good recommendation. I should I should get that. 
Um, And finally, what does success mean to you? I think success to me is, um, I guess it's accomplishing like dreams that I've had since I was young. I've always wanted to be a musician and play shows to lots of people and get to share songs with people that resonate with them. And to me, that's success is just kind of living up to your own dreams and, and setting goals and accomplishing them. I love it. Molly Tuttle, thank you so much for being a guest on Basic Folk. Um, Everybody go see Molly with her band, Golden Highway. They are on tour. They have a new album out, Cricketry. You've been such a great guest, and I'm (laughs) so honored to talk about your music on the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me. This episode of Basic Folk was produced by me, Cindy. Our music was composed by Alex Stanton. You can find Basic Folk episodes wherever you get podcasts at our website, basicfolk.com, on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network, or you can search for us on the SiriusXM app under Basic Folk. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.